Hello, thank you all for tuning into this episode of Satya Samvad. Satya Samvad is a platform where we converse on truth, about truth, and everything about truth and life. Whoever has challenged the traditional way of looking at truth and understanding has faced severe resistance from the larger society. History tells that Sant Kabir, when he challenged by saying that Kakar Pathar Jorkar Masjid Leo Banai, Taap Chor Mulla Bag De Kya Bahra Hua Khudai. And the same thing he talked about temples and others, he will face resistance from all these faith leaders, the gatekeepers. Saint Stephen considers one of the first martyr in the Christian history when he challenged the understanding of the Jewish faith, he was stoned to death. Anybody who has challenged the traditional thinking about God, a challenge our own perceptions has faced a severe resistance. The shape and size of God and his characters always been the quest of human being since time immemorial. Muktived says, for general understanding Muktived, which I say it's a Bible, it says the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations. And there's always a quest, how do we begin at all? And it says, with, from one man, he made all the nations. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from us because we all are made in his image. So he's not far from us, but far in him we live and move and have our being. How do we engage with what God is doing in and around us? if we do not understand him. Today, we'll attempt to explore this subject in a very limited time. The topic for today is Bhakti Beyond Barriers, the God who breaks human molds. We all are guilty of putting God into a sermon of some kind of boxes. Let's explore today this Mammoth task but we will attempt from the experience perspective or how uh, uh, we have been living and how we live in him. To discuss this subject, we have with us Dr. Havila Dhanraj. Dr. Havila Dhanraj is 
the professor of Old Testament. She's a storyteller. She, especially in the style that she narrates, her work on comparative study of the very famous Kavya, we say, the poetry in India, Sanskrit poetry, Geet Govind, and Song of Songs, which is found in the Mukti Veda, the Bible. Moving on, we have Mr. Ravi Kiran, an NRI living in US, an engineer by profession and marketing uh, professional by vocation today, based of, in, in US with his wife and two daughters. Ravi and his wife are raising two beautiful daughters away from their own ancestral culture, but raising them in close to that culture and in bhakti of Bhagwan Muktinath. We have with us Mr. Sanjeev Ailavadi, an student, an observer, a mentor, and a spiritual guide to many engaged in developing God-fearing leaders who see God in every human being and expressions of his glory in creation. Sanjeev makes his home with his wife, Susila, in Delhi. He is a proud father of three wonderful children and, of course, slave to his granddaughter. Sanjeev, at 61, he considers the youngest because he is in the pursuit of new every day. This wonderful panel we have to converse on the subject, does Bhakti Beyond Barriers, which mold we are in, and does God put us in the mold, or we try to do otherwise. Without further delay, let me move to a state of it to the conversation. And I'll go to Sanjeev. Sanjeev, what are the molds that you have experienced? What are the molds you see around? I think we all have molds. And then we, my father gave me a Russian kind of a doll a long time back. And uh, in the Russian doll, when you open it up, you get the same kind of doll again. And you open it up, you get another mold and another one, another one. I feel like I'm somewhere inside there. Each time I break out of a mold, I find another mold and another mold, and another mold, and another mold. And though, you know, I've thought I've broken free, I find that actually the mold is still around me. So that's what I would say. I think uh, in terms of molds that we are breaking out of, the mold of a fixed doctrine, believing that what I believe in is absolute. And I've got the not the corner of the truth, but I've got the entire truth. Religions make that mistake, and... Uh, interpretations to religions make that mistake. The mold of a privatized God, that this God exists only for my sake, to pass me through my examinations and he will hear my prayers, but he, and he fights for me against my neighbor. The mold of abstract, you know, of worship where I get lost in some haze when I'm alone with my God, but actually forgetting that worship is to serve other people. And, you know, there are other molds also Im imagining that by cultural milieu that I'm in, whether it's Indian or whether it's Christian or whether it's whatever it is, is actually my uh, is actually uh, what God wants me to be and everybody has to be. Interesting. I'll come back to you. Ravi, you, you grew up in India and now you're in the in, in US. Uh, what's your experience? What is your mold? 
Yeah, as uh, taking on uh, what Mr. Sanjeev mentioned, um, I was born and raised a Hindu. I was probably in a mold as to what I believed or what my family believed in. And then when I heard about Bhagwan Muktinath, I just felt that I was in a mold, right? So I just felt freedom, right? So I said, okay, you know, this is the the bhakti that I was in or whatever, you know, that I was growing up, I felt like a mold and I, you know, then I was seeking the truth and, uh, you know, and then I broke out of the mold. But then in that process of following Bhagwan Muktinath, I got into another mold, right, of, you know, being in the church and following the traditions and, uh, you know, customs. Uh, again, you know, absolutely with all due respect, but, you know, I kind of formed uh, into a mold and slowly, you know, the bhakti took a lesser precedence and the mold became a bigger precedence. But as time progressed, you know, as my maturity grew, because when I started following Muktinath, I was a 17-year-old, right? So, you know, wisdom, you know, and age brings maturity. So, you know, uh, I, it happened. And then I realized that, I know, I'm, I've lost focus. And then I broke that mold. And, you know, I started to think what is important is to follow my Bhagwan in the culture that is so rich, so beautiful. I was raised, you know, that, you know, my family is there. So, you know, maybe having kids, you know, make you realize things that you were young, didn't realize it. So I again broke a mold. And then I realized that, you know, I need to obviously not follow and not leave my bhakti but at the same time i need to get back into close to my culture and traditions and customs and my family so you know i kept you know as my life went on i kept understanding my maturity grew and i kept breaking molds but i know so, I'm, i don't know when is when i'm going to break my next mold dr habila how many molds you have experienced and what how many molds you have broken or how are you leading your students to to break them if at all um well, um, me, I'm a fourth generation uh, Christian and I've been raised in uh, some of the more conservative denominations. For those who don't know denominations, uh, uh, Christians are not um, you know, uniformly a monolith, uh, but we have three traditions. We have the Protestants, we have the Catholics, and then we have the Orthodox. And within the Protestant, again, we have uh, denominations uh, galore. So I was uh, raised in the more... Uh, conservative of them we i grew up in the boxing tradition and then went on into the brethren tradition uh, so that's the kind of mold that i uh, grew up in even into my adult years and it was that uh, denominations have a monopoly on the truth about god or copyright on uh, uh, how god is to be approached how god is to be worshipped uh, how god is uh, to be pleased even uh, so that, uh, that that's uh, my background, and let's see how this conversation goes uh, when we come to yeah, molds. Not just Christianity, but denominations each have their pretty watertight molds. Yeah, if uh, I should uh, go back in history, uh, ever since Christianity became a state religion, that's in the 300s, in the 4th century under Constantine, ever since then, it's become systematized and with systematizing, you get what you uh, uh, we are calling a mold. So eventually there is uh, dogmatization, which means there is something called orthodoxy and there's orthopraxy. What's orthodoxy? It's the right opinion or the viewpoint, the right viewpoint. And the church fathers um, created a little profile of what Christians should rightly believe and created a little profile about what Christians should rightly 
practice. So you get orthodoxy and you get orthopraxy, the right way of believing, the right way of doing things. I suppose this was in the face of uh, all the heresies of the day, that is the deviant teachings that arose in these uh, first few centuries after Christ. But these find, uh, eventually the right way of believing and the right way of doing finally became almost um, um, hardened into what we would call a molds uh, and it was only in the 1500s with protestantism uh, that that shatters into a whole lot of other denominations but all these denominations constantly competing with each other uh, going in the same exact direction of this is the right way to do it so each denomination each tradition thinks it has the only right beliefs the only uh, right uh, practices monopoly and copyright so my thing is it's uh, number one is very interesting that god himself doesn't seem to or maybe there's life inside each and everything so much of life that it carries on and it'll carry on till we find and meet with jesus again and that's what i my take on what she was saying i i also think that the systemization of things is basically a matter of control you want to control and the, the thing is, uh, you want to make sure that things go your way. Privatization, systemization have the same uh, goal, and that is control. And so we have a power play. And in the power play, we want to make sure everybody is uniform and conform to one thinking, not conform to or, or transformed by the thinking of God. Yeah, so uh, uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Havila and Ms. Sanjeev, right? So they have so beautifully put it, you know, I, I you know, and thanks to their wisdom and my experience. One thing that I would say is, right, as a marketing professional, I always tell my team, keep it simple, <clears throat> right? So it took me 20 years to understand to keep it simple. So as, right, as we kept moving from mole to mole and <clears throat> as all these things evolve, everybody has a, a, a specific, you know, method to do things. And you know a system to follow, and it keeps changing with time. So what I have realized is that over time, I just felt that you know I'm I'm just overcomplicated this, right? Because what Bhagwan Muktinath issue asks is pure devotion, bhakti, right? He's he's not prescribed, you know, A B C D to be done, right? You know we have as humans have created that. So it took some time for me to understand it, and I said, look. There are so many ways to do things. What's the best way to, you know, like this, as you rightly said, you know, if I move from one to another, it's basically moving from one mold to another mold. So I, as a family, we felt the best way is to keep it simple and go back to my roots. My roots is how I was raised, right? Again, you can say I was in a mold at that time, but at the same time, but it is as a human being, as with a family and with the social economic culture and the fabric of society, I need to be in, in a certain set of, you know, a community. Right. And I felt the best way is to be in my community. Right. How my parents raised me, what they taught me, you know, what how they taught me bhakti. Right. They taught me bhakti for sure. Right. And they, you know, so I said, okay, I will have my devotion to the Bhagavan and follow what Bhagavan taught me, but I will do it in my customs and my traditions. That's the most simplest way to do it. Right. One, in the process of breaking molds, I've lost my identity. That's one of my first problem, right? Who am I, right? Somebody asked me, I know, um, 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago, 
when I was, you know, in, you know, a very, you know, for when I was in the church following the, you know, the process and methods and all that, somebody asked me when I broke my bridges with my family, right? In that process, it hasn't come with a, without a price. I broke bridges with my family, my friends, my community. It was a lot of heartache. But I said, this is the right thing to do. But then somebody asked me a fundamental question. What is your dharma? As a son to your parents and to your community, what is your dharma? And I, and I look back and said, Christ never said to break, you know, my the bridges with my family, right? Again, there is a lot of text in the Bible which says, you know, about standing up to your family and all that, but it's all taken in the wrong context. So when I did it, it provoked me and said, look, what have I achieved in doing all of this? Making, you know, bridges with my family, my, you know, with no particular identity, something that is not my own, you know? And again, I feel, you know, not to elongate, Bhagwan has a purpose to make me born in my family. I could, they could have, he could, I could have born in the US, I could have born in Africa, but there was a reason and a purpose I was born to my parents and my family, right? In his divine wisdom, there is a reason. So I said, I, I got to keep that simple. I got to go back. I ought to, you know, do what my parents taught me and grow up in, and my kids also in that same traditions and, you know, and in that context. It, it, again, again I call myself a Hindu Bhakta of Yeshu, right? Thank I didn't you. change my name. I didn't change my eating habits. I didn't change nothing. Uh, should we follow a prescribed path or not? See now, we let's use the metaphor of a journey all of us are on a journey life is a journey is it not you can't make a journey without following a certain path right so you will get onto some road some route some path uh, and uh, that marks you out uh, one way or another we uh, you cannot do a journey uh, in a trackless uh, desert can you so eventually uh, we strike out on a path which people have trod before us and people will trod uh, after us, tread after us. Uh, even if we say, uh, like uh, Brother Ravi here is saying, that I will worship uh, Jesus within the um, uh, cultural and perhaps even religious um, um, ethos of Hinduism, there are people who have done something similar before Ravi and will do something similar after Ravi also. So you will still be part of a group that follows a certain path as you journey with God through life. So there isn't anything that is pathless, I think. Or we should. Okay, so we're going back to the Old Testament, New Testament, and we are uh, uh, perhaps observing um, certain uh, demands put upon the believer, if we can call ourselves believers now, certain demands put upon the believer to uh, follow, uh, let's say, certain um, uh, practices and points of belief like that. Yeah, well, in the Old Testament, there are far more of those. Uh, because the Old Testament is addressed to a particular community of faith, namely the community of Israel. So they are told not just what to believe uh, and what to do in terms of worship of God. They are told how to do farming, uh, how to uh, weave textiles. They are, they are told everything from when you get up in the morning to when you lie down at night. But by the time you come to the New Testament, there is a big opening out uh, into 
the nations of the world. Now, uh, the New Testament addresses itself not just to one particular people group, one ethnicity, or one nation, but now it's opened out to all the nations of the world, all the people groups of the world. And so it doesn't make the same sorts of prescriptions, if that's what we are talking about, uh, for uh, how to live your life uh, in a way to please God. It doesn't make the same tight prescriptions as the Old Testament does. So he's saying that the, from Old Testament there was a there are different prescriptions, the New Testament there are different prescriptions. You're saying that? Uh, not different. They are continuous yet discontinuous. Acha. Uh, uh, so there's plenty of continuities going through, uh, but when it comes to ritual sacrifices, for example, how you do uh, agriculture, uh, how you whether you weave two blends to make the clothes you wear, uh, there are plenty of discontinuities. Very briefly, what the Old Testament does is a comprehensive life. It doesn't uh, do the dissections we do now. Of this is cultural, this is religious. Okay. This is secular, this is sacred. Okay. It doesn't do that. Uh, when an uh, Israelite is commanded that he should not mix two crops in his farming, it just reminds him of the fact that he has to be different from the surrounding nations in terms of how he worships God. He cannot worship his God and another God also. There is one particular God to whom he owes his complete loyalty and that farming practice of not mixing two crops is not at all an agricultural thing. It is largely something to remind him of his loyalty to one certain God. Okay. So there you, we can't pull out the strings of, okay, this applies to agriculture, this applies to uh, cultural, this applies to sacred, we can't. It's all in one comprehensive lot. Thank you, uh, Dr. Avila. We go to Sanjeev. Uh, how do you see God working beyond boundaries or barriers uh, in biblical context, if you look at biblical references? And how do you see that even in the context that we live today? God doesn't have any boundaries uh, that we have. And so he carries on. We, have, we are creating boundaries and we are trying to kind of uh, give a shape to God. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that there are some strictures that are very important. But uh, the moment we... Uh, uh, accept everything as self-evident, that this is absolutely true. And uh, we say everything that is thrown at us because of the socialization that we have gone through is uh, definitely true. Uh, we will end up with making boundaries. We will end up with creating a God rather than God being the creator who shows us that there are no lines to uh, that we need to be bound by. Uh, I think uh, the question that comes up is, you know, there was a British journalist, uh, a lady who was working in the Middle East, and she uh, found a girl there who had her eyebrows uh, burnt, uh, sorry, her eyelids burnt off in a fire, and she couldn't close her eyes. And so her eyes were constantly open. So what this journalist did was she took this girl back into England she adopted her and took her back to England. She had an operation done, a plastic surgery done, and, and uh, got her restored. So the interviewer was asking her a question. The question was this, uh, what, you know, journalists are those who go and observe reality. Whereas what you did was you stepped across the line of journalism into that 
over to the other side and responded with compassion and got involved with this young lady, young girl, and made her your daughter. What made you step across that line? And her answer was very interesting. She said, who drew that line? You see, that's the, the question of who draws the line. Man draws many lines. And the problem with us is that we believe in one thing and then it becomes fixed or we becomes frozen. And I think that the problem is, one, we stop engaging in dialogues, either in a process of reflection or in dialogues with people around us who are in, 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 in like reflection. And we forget to become curious about our, of the world around us. We become less curious about God and what he is doing. And so then God then becomes a God who works within the boundaries that we have made for him rather than the boundaries that uh, rather than what he cho chooses to do. So he says, I am the Lord and I will do what as I please. So when uh, the parable, when Jesus is talking to the to the to the people, he says some came earlier on in the day and some came later on in the day, but they got the same wage. And he said, and they said, how can that be? The ones who came earlier, why did they get the same wage? And Jesus said, I am the one who gives it. Whether I give it to this person or that person, what matters it to you? I've given you your just wage. And if you think that is unjust or that is not right, that is my money. What's your problem? I think that God works right across boundaries, the boundaries that we have created. There are boundaries, even, for, even in terms of what we believe in. There are boundaries of ethics. There are boundaries of goodness. There are boundaries of, uh, in terms of uh, understanding, walking in the right way before God. And those boundaries are very clearly outlined in the Bible. You know, when we think about the fact that there's the parable of the sheep and the goats, and the people on the right hand are called the sheep, and the people on the left hand are called the goats, and the sheep are invited in, and the goats are told to be are cast out. And the reason why they are cast out is not because they didn't believe in Jesus, but the reason why they are cast out is because they did not respond with compassion to those who were vulnerable, you know. And uh, when you hear Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God or the sons and daughters of God. He is not talking about boundaries there. He is making a statement regarding peacemakers, people who desire the best, the shalom for everybody else. So it's quite interesting that boundaries that we are talking about have never been there when God, in terms of God. Uh, before we talk about absolutes, you see, no one who is not absolute can talk about the absolute because that will not be an absolute. So I can't speak about the absolute. I can only talk about a fraction of the absolute. And so right now, all our talk here, which is talking about anything to do with absolutes, will fail because it will be completely finite. You know, there's no, it, it just beats the simple logic of the whole matter. And so what is it that uh, I am saying? Do I not believe in absolutes? I believe in an absolute God, but I have no idea what that means. I believe in, 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 in the word of God as revealed to the Bible. And I understand that there are parts of it that are literally to be taken. And there are parts of it that are poetic imaginations that are being put there by the, by the prophets or by revelation that we are meant to take as metaphors to understand how to live. I, I believe that uh, everyone will have their own interpretations as to what they take as absolutes and what they take as metaphors. But the last time I asked God about it, he didn't tell me what I should, which, which one I should believe in. So 
Uh, you have a Gandhi, for instance. Now, Gandhi is uh, a person who be, you know, becomes a very controversial figure in the, in the Christian faith because of the fact that he wasn't a Christian. He's anyway very con controversial in the political space today. Yeah, whatever it is. But he was very controversial in that time in the Christian space because of the fact that uh, he comes up and he does what other Christians then begin to em emulate. The father of our nation, an amazing man whom I admire deeply and greatly, you see. But he said, but he took the writings of Jesus, he took the other writings of other religions very seriously. But he lived in freedom of the narratives that were around him. And I believe that the question for the prophets, you know, uh, are, is not that who are we today, but also who we can become. And all of us, I think, are invited to image a new reality rooted in the promise of God's love. You know, and as in the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, I think God wants to reconstruct us all the time. There's always a process of deconstruction and reconstruction. And he tells Jeremiah in the beginning of Jeremiah uh, chapter one, that the word is like a hammer in your hands and it will break down and destroy, but it will also build up. And I think that the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, which Ravi was talking about, you know, coming from one mold, breaking that, coming into another mold, breaking that, will keep on happening in our lives, provided we are people who are carrying on attempting, struggling to look at life through fresh eyes. Uh, as Sanjay mentioned, it's a continuous, it's an evolving process. And uh, I think as followers of Bhagavan, you know, we got to, you know, that's why they say, you, know, you listen to the Holy Spirit, right? You got to listen and see what is telling you. And I think why well, I'm trying to know more about my own culture, you know, in a way, actually, you know, honestly, I know more about my traditions and culture and you know what my parents taught and I respect it more now than I was 15 years ago right because not just because of the maturity that I've been in but the you know I have I think the fact that God revealed himself to me so that I can know about him when I didn't know anything about him and I'm so I'm, I'm so blessed that you know God is trying to teach me so I'm being trying to be mindful to hear and say what is it that I need to do so that I can be more truly grounded in the roots in which I am born and raised. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very strong believer. You know, I tell a lot of my friends and I also tell my other friends who are like me that, you know, God is not, you know, cannot make mistakes. So if I am born, raised in my family, there's a reason for it, you know. So I don't want to run away from it. I don't want to, you know, live in, you know understand and you know respect and grow in it so what i'm trying to do more is to learn more about you know how my parents raised me what they taught me you know my community and i'm trying to teach it to my daughters because they don't know anything right at least i've had the luxury to live and grow for 15 to 20 years before i started following muktinath and you know kind of drifted away from my you know community so my kids don't have the luxury so they're looking at me and my wife and i'm trying to teach them more why is because not nothing you know like they need to know about where you know the uh, where my grandparents have come from right if they don't understand that you know they will never respect what my parents believe in right because they my parents are still you know very you know uh, followers hindu followers you know they they follow their traditions and customs we respect them and i want my kids to respect them too 
right? Because even though they learn about the, they you know they are practicing, uh, you know they they follow the Muktinath, they read the Bible, and you know they they follow want to follow Jesus in their life. At the same time, I want them to respect what their grandparents believe in, right? Not disrespect them or look down upon them, right? Because what is that's what I feel, you know, more than all the thing that we have seen is that, you know, when that's what I, I think is what I wish the church or the larger Western community does is that when they've come to Christ or when they understand Christ, they do not disrespect or look down upon the culture they come from. That's the problem of, you know, that's where the trouble begins. So, so you were saying that God doesn't need one kind of culture or one kind of methods. God will meet you because God loves you. And I want, you know, I, you know, I want, I would recommend everybody, you know, that stay in your community culture, even though if you're following Bhagwan, absolutely. There is no reason for you to break that mold and go through what I've gone through and many people are going through. Can I uh, interrupt in this conversation? Uh, you were talking about absolute and then um, Pastor Sanjeev responded to that using the word absolute. And uh, Ravi is now talking about different uh, ways of worshipping God. In all of this, I have a question to my co-panelists and that is, instead of talking about absolutes, uh, if we talked about non-negotiables or irreducibles in our personal faith, mm -hmm. what would those be? What is non-negotiable in your belief about God? So who are you asking, Ravi? I'm asking my two uh, panelists. Well, uh, so let me add, because there is a question Dr. Avila is already there. It says, how to, uh, Devraj is there, he says, how to be balanced, Paul's statement about the person of Christ being the foundation of a faith. And, and he quotes, uh, uh, Philip Scarfe said in essential unity and non-essential liberty. So he said uh, the balance between the foundation of uh, uh, Christ being foundation of faith and, and essential Christian belief. Uh, uh, so who will go? Sanjeev, Sanjeev would you, would you uh, respond to what Havila is saying and the question which is... Yeah. The, the question is exactly the same thing I'm asking yeah. or rather, well, it derives from the question. What are these essentials? Uh, if you put them on the out on the table, then we might have uh, an interesting conversation. Wonderful. So, what are these essentials of faith uh, that uh, we hold to? The non-negotiables, the irreducibles. Sanjeev. Jesus, um, uh, in chapter 1 of John, uh, you know, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then he came and he was revealed in the flesh. That is a complete non-negotiable for me. I cannot uh, take without that. There be no other way to the Father except through the Lord Jesus is a complete non-negotiable. You see, I was, I also come from a Hindu background, and uh, it's a very tolerant, uh, uh, very tolerant background. In my house, there was a Bible. There was, uh, there was. Uh, uh, there was also the Gita, and uh, my my mother, of course, was a very God fearing lady, and she took us through the prayers every evening for a long time until we chose to not be part of that any longer. But uh, uh, you know, sometime on the way, I discovered uh, for myself that the God that she or the person that she believed in 
was somebody that disillusioned me. And I didn't really like it. And I didn't really find anything in it that would be uh, useful. And at a very young age, I decided that that's not what I want. And I went my own way and that my own way eventually ended up in drugs and uh, drink and all sorts of things that I shouldn't have been doing at starting at the age of 12. By the time I was 17, I was suicidal and uh, uh, I was ready to, you know, well, not really ready because my sense of self-preservation was very, very high also, but I was ready to call it a day uh, and uh, forget about everything when God actually showed up and uh, spoke to me just before I was going to smoke a joint. And he told me very clearly, come to me now. And it wasn't, you know, you don't, I don't believe people hear the audible voice of God I, I, all the time, but it was something which filled my being with a tremendous light. And I knew that whatever I was having no longer had a hold on me. And the despair that I was in my heart was not there any longer. And he revealed himself to me as Jesus. So for me, that's a complete non-negotiable because when God came and talked to me, he spoke to me about his son or through his son and he revealed himself as Jesus. Now, after that, there's been a lot of issues that I've gone through. I've become very uptight about my Hinduism or my where I come from. I've become very uptight about, uh, you know, the previous religion and become foolish and as uh, Ravi may have uh, experienced himself, you know, cut off one and move to the other and believe that, that I was doing the right thing. I believe that was perhaps not the best way to do things. Had there been someone, I mean, I was only 17 at that time, a very rebellious and defiant and uptight person and foolish also. And uh, had there been someone to guide me, maybe I would not have done it like that. But that is another it brings us to another you know, uh, place of saying that these things, the way we live out things, are perhaps to some extent uh, negotiables. But the person of God revealed through his son Jesus for me is a complete and total non-negotiable. Ravi, what is non-negotiable for you? Or um, I guess... Yeah, there are two things that you know, Dr. Sanjeev, I think, um, uh, mentioned, right? What he mentioned is absolutely true to me. But there are another thing which also he says, right? What I non-negotiable is, you know, not to love my neighbor. Again, that's very difficult for me to put in practice, but that is something that I feel, you know, when I say neighbor, it could be my own uncle and aunt, my parents, you know, anybody, right? Any of my coworker. That is, again, you know, that's what Bhagwan teaches, right? That is absolutely when, you know, the Bhagwan himself answered, what is the two things that somebody needs to do to, you know, have... Uh, you know, salvation or, you know, uh, have, you know, go to heaven is one, love your God with all your heart and soul and mind, which is what uh, Mr. Sanjeev mentioned. And two is love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's absolutely non-negotiable, right? The moment you, I think I feel I put that in practice, I guess everything falls in place. I think more than anything else, right? That is the biggest challenge that I had in the past. And that's, I think we have in society that we do not love our neighbor as ourselves, Right. And even in relationships, right? My, you know, my relationship with my wife, with my kids, you know, it all applies, right? You can extend that same theory, which is, you know, when I love somebody as myself, how can I do any harm or anything against them, right? That's that's the essence of my faith. So, so love your God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor is a non-negotiable along Absolutely. with 
Bhagwan Bhakti to Bhagwan Muktinath. Dr. Havila, how would you respond to the your question and Devraj's mm -hmm. question as well? What is non-negotiable or what is the essential? Uh, the essentials for me, the first one will be the same as uh, uh, my two co-panelists said that uh, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Uh, that uh, I hope we can talk about that a little more a little later. But my second non-negotiable is the place of the Bible, uh, what you are calling the Bhakti Veda. Uh, the place of the Bible as the complete revealed word of God compared to any other text uh, anywhere else in our history or any text that will come later. So the um, place of Jesus as the only way to uh, salvation and the place of the Bible as the complete uh, revelation of God to human beings. And these are the two that I hold as um, non-essential. How we then interpret the Bible is, of yeah. course, something we've been doing for 2,000 years, and we'll carry on doing it uh, till the Lord. In Romans 1, Paul writes that humans are without excuse because God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. So he does not talk about particular faith or, uh, or morals. talks about a generic human race and he says does that mean the question which i am does that mean god can reveal himself to anyone even somebody who has not even uh, known what the mukti Ved says or mukti Ved is or who christ is can god do that or if any uh, other old or new testament any narrative that you have or he um, right. So now uh, the question we're asking is, um, is there revelation outside of the Bible? Can God reveal himself to human beings outside of the Bible? Not know this. In communities um, that do not know the God of the Bible. Right. Okay. So a good example for that comes uh, from the Bible itself in the New Testament. And this is a certain Cornelius. This is from Acts chapter 10. It's talking about a certain Cornelius who is um, uh, Roman and has his own um, system of gods and beliefs and worldviews. And this man, it says, uh, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. It doesn't particularly say this God was the Christian God. God. Uh, yeah, not the Christian God. Not Jesus at this particular point. Uh, he was devout, God-fearing, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day at about three in the afternoon, he has a vision. Uh, an angel appears to him. And uh, as he stares at this angel in fear, the angel says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And so now send for a man called Simon, who lives in a certain city, a Simon who's also called Peter, send for him. And so Cornelius does exactly that. Uh, Peter is very nervous about uh, coming. Peter, as we know, is one who firmly believes in Jesus as the only way to God. So Peter is really not sure whether he should come to the house of this man who is not a Christ believer and is even a Roman. But finally he comes. And when he comes, um, he says, may I ask why you sent for me? Because you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a visitor Gentile. Uh, why have you uh, asked for me? 
and uh, Cornelius um, says, we are here to listen to everything that God has commanded you to tell us. So at this point, Cornelius' God is a God other than Jesus. And as the story goes, as Peter begins to explain Jesus as that God, um, suddenly it says, uh, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and Peter and those who were with him were completely astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And so this is how the story ends. Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So uh, this is the piece I want to leave us with. I, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And so this will be uh, what we might call general revelation, what you were talking about, that someone who's outside the Christian community of faith can still worship God or uh, uh, live life in a way that pleases God. But, and this is where I will close, but eventually that person's salvation seems to be through only one way, and that is through Jesus. Two thoughts, again, this is based on where I come from, right, uh, is that there is still a lot of interpretation. One of the reasons why, as you, in the beginning, you mentioned in your, uh, when you started off, is because everybody interpreted that Bible or the Bhagavans, you know, the Muktived in their own wisdom and understanding that we created these divisions, right? So even though it is the revealed will, my question is, again, you know, you're born, raised in a Christian family, I completely understand. But, you know, in my case, I am also teaching my kids to read Bhagavad Gita. Because, again, you know, it is a uh, a book, uh, you know, a law or, a, you know, a guide that my parents follow. And I also teach them, there's a lot of great things to learn from the Gita. And I, I read with them. I teach with them. And again, I, I don't understand a lot of Sanskrit. I'm trying to do an English version of it. But, you know, uh, definitely it is, you know, the Bible is definitely something that we need to follow. But, you know, again, this is, my concern is that, you know, not, again, I don't know, I'm asking, right? Do you say that, especially in my context, people who have, you know, somebody from a Christian, a Sikh faith, somebody who came from a, a Muslim faith, Again, right? Uh, are there any books that we can read or you know teach our kids to where there could be a lot of truth and value that can be you know gained? Is my question and to uh, both of you, Dr. Havila, would you respond? I, I remember you were mentioning once that your your uh, formation of your is, spiritual inclination was through a lot of from Panchatantra stories as well. Right. Now, uh, yeah, the, but these are two different categories. Panchatantra is just um, uh, book, yeah. uh, secular anthology and teaches us values. Right. It teaches us values. But where there is a whole other category, which is sacred text, uh, scriptures to uh, other religions. So now we could be talking about the Quran uh, to Islam or the Bhagavad Gita to uh, uh, Hinduism. Uh, so sacred texts come into a different uh, category. How do the sacred texts of other religions um, weigh uh, when compared to the Bible? Now, I, I do quite a lot of comparative literature and so do some of my students who, who write dissertations. And um, maybe this might answer your question, Brother Ravi. Um, one of my students was looking at the whole idea of fate. 
of is there um, predetermination to our lives as god figured out exactly how our life should go how our beginning will be and how our end will be uh, are we fated like we always you know nan karma idu you know we talk like that sometimes right so uh, is there such a thing as predetermination to our lives are we born to follow a certain path and to die in a certain way and so he looked at two characters from the uh, old testament he looked at the story of pharaoh and he looked at the story of saul and in the third chapter he looked at similar stories from the mahabharata which uh, is a well sacred text isn't it uh, so he looked for example at uh, karna uh, was karna fated to a certain end and it seems to be the case but he came to the position that when it came to pharaoh and saul in the old testament there isn't such a thing as a fate finally free will is what determines one's end and not fate in the way that we indians talk about fate now uh, you see uh, so now what would we do brother ravi if we are reading uh, the sacred text against the bible and we find there is a conflict of world view or a conflict of very basic um, uh, doctrine dogma uh, what would we do then so fate for example right again um, what I, what when i look at the bhagavad gita i look at as a text uh, which you know talks about you know the karma right you know the duty of doing your work right so when i teach my kids or when i read it i look it from that perspective because there is you know there is a lot of you know value in learning from it it doesn't define my fate right it doesn't you know uh, again when you get into you know again i don't believe in plural gods and you know i i believe in you know the holy god right all of that so keeping that in context what i'm saying is that there is a lot of you know to understand where my parents come from or where my grandparents come from where my community comes from or the whole you know hindu community itself right there is if you take the concept of you know the pluralistic god out of the picture right there is a lot of things that are you know uh, you know which helps which i think which people follow and live by right that's that's very important which is what i'm trying to come to say is that uh and i think somebody mentioned a question right you know the problem in the with the bible right is because it's so it's prone to interpretations which is what has caused all the divisions i'm saying that you know uh that is important but at the same time i feel that if there is something that uh you know defines my you know the culture that i'm come from i would want uh, you know to encourage to learn read from it to understand more right to have a more meaningful conversation because to be honest with you i have my cousin who teaches bhagavad gita you know samir dev uh, 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 leopoldier is asking when you saying that uh, jesus is the only way and the bible as only absolute truth how would you answer that how would you defend that these are not the boundaries or molds we are putting uh, the son of mold <clears throat> that's a boundary Molds are different. Boundaries are different. Boundaries are to do, and Jesus very clearly says it's a very, very narrow boundary. It's a narrow way, and uh, mold is something that is fixed that you don't get out of, and uh, you can't get out of. You're imprisoned in it. You can't move backwards, forwards, upwards, downwards, anywhere. However, a, a, a way still leads you to a certain path and a certain destination. but i'm very interested in this uh, in uh, in the talk which uh, we were having uh, ravi and avila uh, regarding the problem with the text 
And I think that one thing that uh, Jesus says is that I am the truth, the way and the life. Now, when I think that that's the first place we start at, you know, I don't think we can actually start at values. You start at values, you'll go to the Quran, you'll go to any place, you'll get values. You go to just pure, simple humanism, you come to philosophers, you can get good values too. Maybe they are birthed in some religion or some sacred text somewhere, but you can get good values just because, you know, we are without excuse. Uh, if we, if, as, Chris, as Christians, not only as Christians, but also as human beings, we have values. But I think the truth is not a value. Truth is a person. And uh, I think that that's where we, we, we start. And uh, the truth is a person in the person of Jesus. Because today, uh, if I were to follow with, with Jesus, you know, I might get one set of directions from him. Do this in my cultural, in my historical location, or in my socio-political economic location, whereas somebody from a totally different location might get another, uh, might get another directive from him. And those directives may seem almost contradictory, but uh, they may not be contradictory, but they would seem contradictory. Because if you look at the world today and all the denominations that are there, and everyone stating that it's a corner of the truth that they that is absolute and actually finding God answering their prayers you wonder how God can hold all those things and yet remain uh you know true to what uh, we believe that he should be he should be true to so I think that truth is a person and uh, I don't think we should start with values or books uh I believe in the Bible I believe that thing as uh, uh uh, Havala has said very clearly that that is the way in which Jesus has, re- uh, God has revealed himself. And that is the text which I follow completely. Uh, I do believe that uh, it is possible to hold various texts in your house and, and yet be able to follow uh, a person. Sadhu, so uh, then one question bothers me now. You, uh, when the matter comes of the text, what what happens to the people who can't read and write? That's a, that's the probably. And we, have, uh, we live in the country where we have a very significant population yeah, yeah, in the yeah. region itself in the world. Yeah, we, we discovered that when I was working when we started a a, a church in uh, in in a rural place that uh, to talk about reflecting uh, uh, upon the text was a useless practice because of the fact that nobody could actually understand couldn't read also. And so to say, here's a copy of the Bible, they look at you and say, sorry, we don't know how to read. And I think that's where the whole matter of song comes in. And that's where the tradition which we have lost, the Shruti of God, which is the, 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 the text handed down through singing. And uh, the text uh, memorized, uh, scriptures memorized, because we uh, talk about it, we give stories around it, the stories in the... That, that we find the text or the stories that we can relate with in real life, but also through singing and through other symbols, we can keep the text alive in many other people. Uh, three of you have a three different views uh, because you are three different uh, group. But if you go and in, uh, in, in people among the among hundreds, there may be at least at least uh, if not then ten different uh, uh, ways of expression. So they have the same faith. 
but they have a different slight difference from each other and how would you deal with that i have to deal with that every day because as a pastor of a church you can't sit down there and say uh, i mean you can of course say this is the doctrine this is the only way but i think that uh, i think that uh, you know you can't uh, uh, get away from the fact that uh, your view and your perception of reality will be exactly the same as mine it will not be everybody's view of reality will be different and so the unity which we are talking about is not a unity of perception it is not a unity of thought but it is a unity of the spirit that brings us together and without a shadow of doubt all of us would come to the same place of agreement where we say something about learn comes to loving god love god and express it in the best way you can express it through in action by loving your neighbor express it in action by reaching out to those who are affected by covid the migrant worker the traffic woman or the drug addict express it in action i think we would all agree with that so there's a unity of expression and a unity of spirit and when we come together there would be a unity as a result of that not because of the perception you know maybe ravi's understanding of how to express it might be to do it in a different way and i would do it in a different way but ultimately the unity would still be there to do it is there a way particular way form or mold that god has to be worshiped in ah, or can he be worshiped in cultural forms rooted in any religion or there any mold which god will not accept okay if you're just talking about if if you are all agreed i think all three panelists were agreed that jesus is the only way to uh, uh, salvation uh, and that's why we're calling him muktinata uh, if you are all agreed on that on who that god is then uh, how do we worship this god i think varies from culture to culture so now we know that um, in the uh, old testament there were certain ways of worshiping god which included uh, uh, rituals of uh, animals being sacrificed and such so when we come to the new testament there are other ways of worshiping god you meet together on a sunday you break uh, bread together you uh, remember the lord's uh, death by the bread and the uh, um, uh, wine uh, there there are certain okay so um, my sense is that uh, at least this is my personal opinion i really wouldn't be fussed about offering my christian god namely jesus mangalarti or coconuts or uh, jasmine uh, flower strands uh, because it does not really contradict the essentials that i spoke of that uh, we believe in it does not contradict that whereas what i would have objection to is if um, uh we did uh, seeking uh, forgiveness through penance uh, seeking forgiveness through washing in sacred uh, rivers for example uh, those are practices uh, that go against the basic belief that i have that uh, uh, jesus gives me that forgiveness and and it can't be owned by me by uh, shaving my head or doing this kind of uh, pilgrimage it, it can't so i don't know if that answers your question worshiping god culturally through means that other religions in my region are practicing i i think that is fine but when uh, those practices are in conflict with what 
are my essential basic beliefs about how Jesus gives me salvation, uh, then that would be a problem. Uh, Dr. Avila, are you saying that there is an absolute object of worship, but there are different methods of worship? Are you saying that? Uh, yes. When I talked about Mangalarti and coconuts, that's what I meant. Right. You know, I did not know that there's something called a Bible for 17 years. Again, I learned that Christians follow their scripture is Bible, but I didn't know any, anything in the Bible for 17 years. But I was taught by my parents about Hindu tradition customs, the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas. Again, I didn't read of them, but the essence of it, what they taught me, that helped me seek that there is something more, right? Which is what I could not find in what I was believing. Right, that foundations of knowing the right from the wrong, the need for a salvation, which is mukti, right, and the need that you know I need to be one with God, was all the values that were taught independent of the Bible by my parents. So, with because of that values, because of again, this is my personal experience, you know, so everybody has different journeys, mm -hmm. but because of that values that my parents taught, I was still seeking who is that that can you mm -hmm. know give me that. Right. Maybe, you know, again, my parents found peace in the gods that they believed in by reading the same truths and scriptures. I listened to the same thing, but I didn't find peace. Right. And then I was seeking. And then in that quest to know or understand and find a God that gave me the peace, uh, you know, based on what I believed in, the values that I believed in, that I found issue. And when I heard about what he offered, which is what you said, salvation by grace, not by works. That just blew my mind, mm. right? And you know, that just completely blew my mind because what I believed in is, as what I was taught is, I have to pay a penance. I have to pay and you know work to get salvation. Salvation was by works is what I believed in. And when I was taught, salvation is by grace. Mm. Mukti and liberation from my sin is by grace. That just blew my mind. If not, I did not know those values that my parents taught me, I wouldn't have learned about it, right? Again, God has different ways to, you know, bring them, bring people to them. So I feel that, you know, that, that's where I'm coming from, right? You know, that helped me a lot. Is Melchizedek and Balaam had revelation from Yahweh before any codified and canonized writings. Isn't it possible today to... Is it worth to keep the boundaries of our canon a bit fluid? Starting with Sanjeev, then Ravi, then Dr. Havila. Uh, the problem is that we do have the Bible today. And so it's very hard to go back in time. But the goodness is that we do have ancient uh, India still there today in front of us where everybody is illiterate. And the question is, how does God reach out to every one of them? I think that uh, I, that's why I went back. I said, let's not look for focus on the text. Uh, let's start looking at the person of Jesus because he does reveal himself uh, to people. And he revealed himself, as I hear, to Ravi and to myself before the text came into being. The text came later. For some people, the text came before. Uh, you know, and, you know, as a concluding remark, we're talking about forms of worship. When we started a church, we started to meet in a place that was given to us in Saket for street children. 
to sorry for for the street children in the Sakit PVR area to come and study. And on Sundays we were permitted to use that place of worship. On the Sunday when we landed up to not take classes with the street children, they showed up at the door. They refused to leave, and I wanted to throw them out. But the people that I was worshiping with uh, refused. They said God could never turn away children. My, my wife actually said that to me. So we had the children in. The time came. I mean, they made the whole worship time a total ruckus. They were pulling each other's hair. They were fighting. They were screaming. They whatever. But it was a great time. But at the end of the time, there was a time for giving offering, and they took out wallets. And they took out key, Bharati keys, and they took out uh, all sorts of soiled notes. Some of them took out a little powder, powdery substances, and they put it in the chanda. And they said that this is some; these are earnings from stealing, pickpocketing, and uh, doing what we've been doing uh, for the last this one, and we want to put it in the chanda. Now, I would like to know, uh, you know, as a question, is that acceptable worship to the Lord? Is that form of worship acceptable? Is that what was given by the street children, nine, ten, eleven years old, abused all their lives, left there, some of them on their own, facing death almost every day, malnourishment? Many of them died. Is that an acceptable form of worship? It's a big question. I think that sometimes we get caught up in the text and we forget the compassion and the love and the and the person of Jesus Himself. Thank you, Sanjeev. Ravi. Your concluding thoughts in 50 seconds. Yeah, again, my my own example of my life and so many people around me, right? You know, you don't have to know the, the word and the Bible for the for the Bhagwan to reveal himself. And, you know, he can be done to anybody, to, to, the, to the most literate and to the most illiterate also, right? So that is absolutely no doubt about it. And I feel that, I guess, you know, my concluding remark would be that, you know, uh, as somebody said, you know, when I started my, broke my mold to follow my Bhagwan in my own culture. Somebody said, right, you know, somebody said, why are you doing this? I said, and the answer was, if you were born, raised in a Christian home, be so be it. You follow in what the way you follow. If you're raised in a Hindu home, follow Bhagwan in the way you were raised, right? So keep it simple and just, you know, follow Bhagwan. The essence is following Bhagwan and not, you know, the form and the, you know, the approach because that is complicating the whole thing, right? That's take, that is taking the message, the beautiful message of Bhagwan and Muktinath from everything else that we want, right? We don't, and also, we that don't is also need to do any makeup. We don't need to do any makeup uh, for the performance, Dr. Havila. Uh, going back to my interest in text, simply because I uh, come from the background I come from, uh, I. Um, uh, reiterate what Ravi has been saying that uh, the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran uh, there are people who have uh, stepped from there into knowing who Jesus is and uh, I think they call them bridges uh, that uh, these other sacred texts uh, can be bridges into the full knowledge and realization of who Jesus is uh, and can lead them to the fullness of those values and uh, uh, truths that they find in other texts, the fullness of it uh, can be found in the Bible. I want to reiterate that. On the other side, once you have become a follower of Jesus, uh, like I have been for most of my life now, I want to say that once in a while, going back to the texts of other religions also serves a very wonderful purpose. That is the reason why I am dedicating the next six months or so 
looking at the Geet Govinda because this coming from the Bhakti tradition that it does, uh, I am finding uh, that reading the Geet Govinda is deepening my reading of the Song of Songs. They sort of play one against each other. This is not to say that the God that uh, I believe in any way compromised by me reading the sacred uh, love songs written to another God or another deity. But there is much there of devotion that I can learn from the Bhakti tradition, whether from the Orissa tradition, Orissa West Bengal tradition or from the Tamil Nadu tradition. Uh, there is so much I can learn from the Bhakti tradition that then I can transport and use in my Bhakti or my devotion to Jesus. So looking at other sacred texts, is always worth your while, even. Muktiwe said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And free of what? What the beautifully uh, 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 Tagore has uh, uh, said. It said, uh, what is the freedom? It said, where the mind is without fear and head is held high, where knowledge is free, where the world has not been broken up into fragments by narrow domestic walls where words come out from the depth of truth. And when we encounter truth, truth sets us free to know him more profoundly. Muktivets, and I think what uh, uh, mesmerizes me and amazes me and, and gives me hope, when we go towards the, towards the end of Muktivets uh, in precaution, where it says that uh, it, it <clears throat> The, uh, it says, I saw, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or its temple. And the city has no need of sun and moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nation wa will walk in the light and the kings of the world will enter in the city with all its splendor. And I think that's the diversity we will, uh, we, we will see when all bhaktas with different methods of worship to the absolute truth and the object of worship, absolute object of worship when they, they meet. It has been amazing conversation today. As I said, this subject has been discussed time immemorial. We have been trying uh, to do other around. We were just want to finish all of this in one and a half hours. Not possible. We, we need many more set, uh, sittings for this. God gives us his revelation to set us free, enjoy and explore him. But what I would like to uh, take another 30 seconds to tell, the journey of this Satsambhat for last one year has been amazing. It has been affirming, revealing, and it has been hum uh, humbling us. Thank you all for support and guidance. Season one ends today. We will take a stock and we will look at when to start season two will be soon. So please look, keep looking forward to hear about season two begins. We pray that God will continue to bless you and guide you to explore him more and he will continue to reveal him more and more as you grow and seek him. Thank you and good night.